is the worst investment you've ever made? The worst. Did you lose 100%? I sure hope you didn't lose more than that. The only way to have done worse is to borrow money that you didn't have, invest that, and then lose all of that. Well, as many losers as I've had and as used to losing as I am, I've still never picked a stock for The Motley Fool that went down 100%, but I've come close. And this time, every year, once a year, I talk about my worst stocks, my biggest losers over the past three years. So, if winners win, well, losers lose. And it's important to talk about both. So, Come with me, won't you, to the dark side, the shadow side, the losing side. Let's explore and learn today on my annual David's Biggest Losers, Volume 4. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Rule Breaker Investing. Find the right people for your business this year. That's right, this new year of 2019 at linkedin.com slash fool. Get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. That's linkedin.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm going to say it one final time. Happy New Year. That's the third podcast in a row this month I've done. I still feel comfortable going there. So, we started off the year with getting your kids started investing. That was the first podcast for Rule Breaker Investing to kick off 2019. For those who keep score at home, pretty sure I'm the only one who keeps score at home. That was podcast number 184 for Rule Breaker Investing. So, I know some of you have actually been with me from the beginning or gone back and listened all the way through. If you're that person, give yourself five gold stars, four pats on the back, buy yourself a cupcake today, and know that, yep, as of that first podcast of this year, that was number 184 that we've spent this time together for. And then the week after, it was My Pet Peeves. That was last week. My Pet Peeves, Volume 3. You know, I was thinking about it. Occasionally, I'll re-listen to one of my podcasts and It makes a lot of sense, for example, for me to listen back last year to David's Biggest Losers Volume 3, just to remind myself how we do it, how I did it, and learn a lesson or two. But when I go back and listen to my most recent podcast, I do consider that a little bit self-indulgent. And I did fully listen to my Pet Peeves Volume 3, and I really just... I think I probably enjoyed it more than more than you did, whoever you are. And I'm sorry about that. I, I love putting out my pet peeves. It was so much fun. And I thought of another one in the meantime that I want to convey to you right now. And here it is before we actually get to our material this week. It's that time of year where snow happens in the United States of America. And there are some parts of our country, no doubt yours too, perhaps, where it snows more than other places. And a pet peeve of mine with regard to snow is the further north someone is, the more patronizing they'll be to people south of them when talking about the weather. So, it would be quite natural here in the Washington, D.C. area. We received 10 inches of snow over this past weekend. A pretty remarkable snowfall, one of the bigger ones we've had in recent years. A lot of fun. I'm always the person cheering on more snow. I root for maximum snow days, and I want the whole world to grind to a halt whenever it starts snowing. And So, I had a lot of fun. But it doesn't take long for somebody to go, well, of course, People have no idea what they're doing in Washington, D.C. when it starts snowing. I mean, you know, I'm from Maine, the person will say, or I'm from Chicago, and it's 
hilarious to me, this person will say, just how inept everybody is in the city that's south of me. Now, this isn't about Maine or Chicago or Washington, D.C. This is really just more about northerners uh, defined as anybody north of you coming and telling you that in your area, people have no idea what to do with snow. But of course, this wise person talking to you knows a lot, has been through it all, and can't help but look askance with maybe a little bit of a grin at how sad the state of things is in this southern city. And it makes me think, since this is, I hope, a pet peeve of yours too, especially if you're from the South, it makes me wonder, what if we reverse that? What if any time it got hot or really sunny, those of us who are in southern areas hung out some around our friends in the north and just talked about how they don't even know how to embrace the sun. They have no real idea about how to enjoy the beach or how to get a good tan. They don't really get out of doors much. What if all of us kind of patronized our northern friends anytime the weather flipped the opposite way? It's just a what if. All right, well, the actual topic this week, it's easy for me to procrastinate in the face of having to talk about my biggest losers and just keep going off the rails and not talking, because I don't want to talk about my biggest losers, but I do, and we do that on this podcast at least once a year, and it's this podcast. And so, what we're going to be doing is looking back over the last three years and finding the six worst stock picks that I made in Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Now, I sure hope you're a member of at least one of those services, and if not, just come join us at Fool.com and sign up for Motley Fool Stock Advisor. That's kind of our starter service for so many of our members. It's our most popular, it's our longest running, and in many ways, our best performing service. So It's been around since 2002. We're now in our 17th year of picking stocks every month, month in and month out, new picks and best buys now among our old picks. So I sure hope you know the service and you're already subscribed. So, The picks that I'm going over this week are picks that I've made as my monthly picks in those services. And it's embarrassing for me to think how bad these stocks have been. After all, you are paying us money. I sure hope you are. If you're a member at The Motley Fool, you're paying us money, hoping to make money. The good news is we do make money more often than not, and we do beat the market, so that's good news. But it's really sad to think you'd be paying us money for us to give you advice that would lose you a substantial amount of money. And for every one of these six stock picks, every one of them has been more than cut in half over the last three years. And it's been a very good three years for the market. So, before I go into those six picks, I have three primary points I like to make up front, especially if you're new to this podcast or new to investing, when we talk about losers. So, let's go there. Point number one. Point number one, this is normal. This is normal. Losing happens all the time. In fact, studies have shown that if you look for stocks that beat the market, you might think that half of the stocks in the stock market beat the average, and then the other half, you'd think, would lose to the average. But the truth is, it's actually skewed. A minority of stocks actually beat the stock market averages. They pull up the losers, but there are far more losers to the market than winners to the market when you look at broad studies of the stock market. So that's just interesting on its own. It's normal to lose to the market when you pick a stock. That's in a lot of ways why people favor index funds, because they figure, I can't find the winners. How could I possibly, especially if I'm not interested in the subject or ever studied it? So why wouldn't I just buy the average? Since, after all, the majority of stocks lose to the averages. But we're not just talking here about losing to the averages. I'm talking about losing flat out, like losing money. 
going down from 0% into the negatives, like losing 20, 30, 40, or in the case of our six stocks this week, stocks that have all lost between 55 and 70% of their value inside the last three years. And yet, I'm here to say again, this is normal. It's normal, especially if you take the rule breaker approach. After all, as I've many times discussed before on this podcast at fool.com, in our books, in press interviews, I've talked about how we kind of invest like venture capitalists. We take risks. We look our CEOs in the eye and we say, I like that person. I believe in him or her. I believe in the product. It's kind of like what they do in Silicon Valley with startups. We don't focus too much on the near-term results. We think much bigger and longer-term about what things can grow into, what they can become, which caterpillars will become butterflies, and we buy them in those caterpillar larval stages, and we hope that they become butterflies. We hope that our flowers bloom, but we're used to many of them not, just like any venture capitalist. Many venture capitalists comb through any number of ideas Invest in some of them, lose with many of them, but find some winners, and the winners win so well that they do well overall. That largely describes the rule-breaker approach to investing. This is normal. In fact, if you don't have a significant loser, if you've never bought a stock that got cut in half for you, well, on the one hand, I'm going to congratulate you, but on the other hand, I'm going to wonder whether you're investing like a rule breaker, whether you're taking the risks that you should to really find the best stocks. So, even though this week we're going to be combing through the laggards and the ugly, ugly dogs, at the same time, you should know they're surrounded by some wonderful companies. We'll talk a little bit about that this week as well. And just know that it's kind of normal to have a mix of losers and winners. It's also normal in one other regard. It's normal for The Motley Fool, it's normal for me to talk about losing and losers. I realize we live in a world where you'll rarely see somebody talk about how they blew it or lost uh, on CNBC or in The Wall Street Journal. Most people are talking about their winners. The ads that you see are going to be all about what's winning and what's working. People don't really want to talk much about their losers. But from day one, when we called this company The Motley Fool, I hope it made it clear to you, our customer or our prospective customer, that we're very comfortable saying, hey, I'm a fool. I blew it. I didn't do that well. Or it's just natural for us to fall on the ice as we're ice skating. It's part of the game of learning how to invest, is being willing to fall out there on the ice. So, this is normal, point number one. Point number two, this one is particularly for people who are new to the stock market. And this time of year, tapping into fool.com or listening to this podcast, we probably have far more new people than usual because we make our New Year's resolutions and a lot of us think about our health or our wealth to kick off a new year. And so you might well have tapped in and found our podcast and you might be thinking, you know, uh, here's what, the one thing I don't want to do. I don't want to lose. Because when most people come to The Motley Fool as new investors, the one thing they don't want to do with their first stock is lose. And they might pick one of my stocks, they'll listen to me and buy one of my stock picks, and it'll go down 7% that first week. And we'll see messages on our discussion boards. People expressing worry are out there on social media. What do I do now? I'm down 10%. I, maybe I shouldn't have done this, or what should I do? 
they're reacting to what the stock's done, and the market is very volatile. The vicissitudes of the market aren't really worth paying much attention to from one day or week to the next. But people very naturally, especially as new investors, they really get involved in that up and down and in the day-to-day. And especially if it's down a little bit, that can be very disconcerting. So, point number two is, I don't want you to live in fear of losing. As has often been pointed out, psychologists tell us that the pain of loss is three times the joy of gain. I'll say that again. The pain of loss for human beings is three times the joy of gain. And yet, what's amazing about the stock market is the worst you can ever do, and I've still never done this, is go down 100%. The best you can do is kind of unlimited. We have stocks that have made more than 100 times their value, and they're still Going up. So, what's amazing about this psychologically is even though psychologists tell us that as a species, we fear loss three times more than we enjoy gain, the stock market directly reverses that. The pain of loss is tiny compared to the joy of gain. The gains that are earned over longer periods of time are infinitely more satisfying numerically than the losses that we suffer. So again, even though we're just going to focus on the losers this week, please know that you shouldn't live in fear of those losers. You should expect them. They're a normal part of life outside investing, and yes, they're also a normal part of investing. And finally, point number three, and I'll mention a few of these, but over these three years, we've had some tremendous winners. There's not actually a single podcast that I do every year that talks about my biggest winners. I mean, I love to thread discussion of what works about investing in a lot of our podcasts on an annual basis. That's a big part of Rule Breaker Investing. But truly, I never once focus on just what were the biggest winners and what can we learn from those. Because I think it's more fun just to look at the biggest losers. I think we all enjoy a good explosion in the cinema, and it's more fun to do the bam, kapow, whack moments uh, for this podcast with our losers. But it's worth remembering that these losers are surrounded by much more impressive winners. All right, with that said, let's get started. All right, I've got six to go through, and for each of these, I'm going to have a single lesson that I think we can learn from each of these companies. I'm going to move through these fairly quickly, because I don't want to get too preoccupied on the individual stories and the implosions. But I think there is something instructive to learn from each of these, and so I'm going to try to tease that out. Let's start it off with number one. Now, number one is, appropriately enough, the single worst stock pick that I have made personally in the last three years. It was on June 28th of 2017. It was in the Motley Fool Rule Breakers service, and the company is Trivago. That's right, that meta search engine for travel, bookings, finding the best hotel. It's a global company. And Trivago, I picked at $20.95 on that fateful day in June. And I'm sorry to say that these days, as I tape this podcast on the afternoon of Tuesday, January 15th, Trivago has gone from $20.95 down to $6.22. Yep, that's down 70%. So, what is a reflection or thought that I have about Trivago, other than I should mention that a year ago, this one was also on the list. In fact, a year ago, Trivago was my fourth biggest loser of the previous three years. So, yes, these recur sometimes from one year to the next when they do very poorly and then don't bounce back, which has been the case 
for Trivago. So, what is one lesson we can take away? Well, Trivago is these days. The market cap is about two billion dollars, so it remains a fairly substantial company. This is not one of those companies that has been so crushed that it's like a little tin can that's been flattened into a micro cap of a stock. We'll be having one of those coming up shortly. Now, this is still a fairly well-known, fairly substantial company, but the problem that Trivago has faced is that a lot of its business was coming from two primary sources. Paid kind of search listings and making money from the big players, the two largest travel portals were more than half of Travago's business when we picked the stock, when I picked the stock a couple of years ago. Expedia, which is a part owner of Travago and Priceline. And a natural vulnerability for a business like this, again, since it's down 70%, you can imagine that this was over $5 billion as a company when I first picked the stock. Now it's down to just $2.2 billion. But the company began to suffer from these two big dogs starting to say, you know, we're not actually going to pay you at the same rate because we're such a substantial volume player for you. Both Expedia and Priceline started to undercut themselves and pay lower and lower rates for search successes on Trivago. And that really hurt the company and continues to have hurt the company. So, I think a lesson here, some of my lessons are about the stocks themselves and about how we invest in those stocks, but this is actually about the business and the business consideration. So, lesson number one, recognize the vulnerabilities of your companies. Now, it is something that we recognize. This wasn't a surprise to us that Trivago was very dependent on these two players. And at one earlier stage of our corporate history at The Motley Fool, we were very dependent on just a few big discount brokers. That back when The Motley Fool was free and Fool.com was a free site, ad-supported, it really, really hurt. I remember back in the day when a few of those discount brokers that we were sending lots of customers to said, in the horrible year of 2001, as the NASDAQ lost over 60% of its value, they said, we're not actually going to advertise on your site because nobody's clicking any ads and we don't have money to advertise on your site. That hurt us a lot. We we were a company that was highly dependent on a few sources of revenue. And that's kind of Trivago, even though it's a much bigger company than The Motley Fool. So, it's just something to be thinking about and conscious of when you're investing in stocks. And it isn't to say it, it never works, because we picked Trivago knowing that, and yet, in this case, those companies began to lower their rates and really hurt this company. So, that's a lesson to learn from this $2.2 billion company today. By the way, I should mention, a year ago, it had dropped from 20.95, as I mentioned, in June of 2017. It had dropped to $7.31, and one year later, it's now down to $6.22. So, the stock has actually sold off, not dramatically, but another 15% over the last year. And it's a reminder that we don't bottom fish much at all at The Motley Fool. If you want to take a second lesson away from this one, you won't see me re-recommending Trivago anytime soon to Motley Fool Rule Breakers members, because when a company is down and out like this, I need them to prove their way back into my confidence in them. And uh, and so that's kind of how I handle companies like Trivago. And yes, often they do kind of just keep sputtering along. And this stock is actually down from where it was a year ago. All right, what's my second biggest loser of the last three years? Well, it's Camping World Holdings, the RV company. Now, Camping World Holdings, also a Motley Fool Rule Breakers pick, I picked on November 22nd of 2017, right around Thanksgiving here in the US, 2017. 
And it was at $41.37, and today it's gone from $41 down to $13.83, as I quote it during this podcast. So, $41 down to $13, a drop of 67%. Now, this one is not that different in some ways from Trivago. It's also still worth more than a billion dollars. It's a consumer brand that Perhaps you would recognize Trivago you might have used before on the internet to book something. Well, some of us, those of us who are interested in recreational vehicles, this is the big player, Camping World Holdings, within the RV industry. A problem for this company, well, several set in in 2018. One of them was that RV prices for new vehicles started surprising us, and especially management at Camping World. They weren't able to raise prices. Prices started to come down for new RVs. And not only that, but it got worse for used RVs. And so, the company started decelerating with its growth. And then, even worse, accounting problems started cropping up. The company announced it had to restate some earnings, and the market began to lose some trust, especially when it was discovered that management, including the CEO, Marcus Lemonis, the pretty popular, well-known CEO of this company, had sold a lot of stock. And so, a lawsuit then popped up in 2018, people accusing management of knowing that the numbers weren't accurate and selling their stock in advance of that or before the rest of us knew that, and then some of us are left holding the bag. So, it was a year of problems for the core business, and then a lack of trust and a lack of performance on the part of management. Now, what is a lesson to take away from this one? Where I'm going to have a little fun with this, but I'm going to say, beware CEO TV stars. Because Marcus Lemonis is the star of CNBC's show, The Profit, which is a show about saving small businesses. He's the authority. He's the driving personality. He's a charismatic person. And somebody in our initial write-up when we recommended Camping World Holdings, we were saying, we like Marcus Lemonis, and you can watch him on CNBC. But maybe in retrospect, I should have thought about Nick Woodman, the CEO and founder of GoPro, who also had become a TV star a few years ago on Shark Tank. And GoPro, which will not be featured on this year's David's Biggest Losers was, in fact, featured last year, and I believe the year before, because GoPro was a horrible stock pick. I picked it at about $80 a share. It touched down somewhere around 9 and these days, it's even a little bit lower than that. So, GoPro, Nick Woodman, Shark Tank, Camping World Holdings, Marcus Lemonis, The Profit, I have a queasy and bad feeling now when my CEOs end up spending a lot of time on TV if Elon Musk starts to launch a reality business TV show, or if Reed Hastings decides he's going to feature himself on a new Netflix streaming series. If these things or anything like it happens, drop me a note. Remind me that I'm making this point to you, that I think we should be a little leery of CEOs who are going on and spending a lot of time on television, because now it's happened a couple of times, and these are some of David's biggest losers. All right, before we get to losers number three and four, I feel like I want to bring back a few of the inspirational quotes I had in this podcast a year ago. I was quoting football coaches talking about winning and some good quotes about winning. So, amidst all this losing, I'm thinking of Lou Holtz, the Longtime successful college football coach who said this I quote, winners embrace hard work. They love the discipline of it, the trade off they're making to win. Losers, on the other hand, see it as punishment 
And that's the difference, end quote, said Lou Holtz. And so I feel like you and I are kind of winning right now because we're embracing the hard work of combing through losers. We're loving the discipline of that. And it's not easy to talk about losing. But losers, on the other hand, just see this kind of stuff as punishment. They don't want to talk about it. They want to sweep it under the carpet or ignore it. So, inspirational Lou Holtz quote, let's keep moving. All right. My biggest loser of the last three years, number three. And this one, I'd have to say the ticker symbol is fairly ironic because the ticker symbol is IQ. And you'd think if I had a higher IQ, I never would have picked IQ when I did. But thereby hangs a tale. Let's talk a little bit about IQE, which is sometimes called the, quotes, Netflix of China, probably a phrase that we used in our buy report that we put out June of this past year. That's right, my biggest loser number three, I only picked about seven months ago. The stock was at $40.51, and IQ now has touched down from 40 and a half down to 16 and three quarters, and that is down 59% since June 14th, just this past year. Now, of all six of these companies, IQE, IQ, is the largest still standing. This company still has a market cap of $12 billion. And in many ways, it's a successful and impressive company. It's had a poor stock market run in the last seven months. But then again, so has all of China. Chinese markets, I think, were down around 25% for the year of 2018. I mean, we had a little bit of a disappointing year in the US. We were down single digits. China was down lost a quarter of its value for its stock market in 2018. So it's not surprising that more volatile, higher-priced kinds of companies with higher multiples like IHE would get especially badly hurt, and indeed it had. So what's the lesson that I have for you for number three here? Well, I'm going to say this. Adding to winners works more often than you think. I said, thereby hangs a tale. Let me now just briefly tell the tale I'm referring to. Because when I picked... IGE in June of 2018, I'd actually picked it two months before that. The June 2018 was a re-recommendation of IGE. I first picked it in April of last year at 18. So it had risen from 18 to 40 in just two months. And it's there from that position at 40 and a half down to 16 and three quarters that we find ourselves today. But the truth is, from the very first position, I picked it at 18, and today it's right around 17. So it, it is down, but uh, not that badly. So what I did, if you heard me right there, is the stock more than doubled in just two months, and I re-recommended it again. And while now I look back with some regret, I'm here to say that that strategy is something that I regularly do, and I'm not dissuaded by this example from doing it again. In fact, let me just look at Motley Fool Stock Advisor over the last three years right now. I'm going to give you four companies, Texas Roadhouse, Illumina, Match Group, and Okta. All four of those companies, Texas Roadhouse, Illumina, Match Group, and Okta, all four were re-recommended within the last three years. And each of those four, respectively, is up 95%, 99%, 193%, thank you, Match Group, and 68%. And those are all bigger winners for the most part than any of the losers that I'm telling you about today. 
So the very strategy by which IGE appears as my third biggest loser of the last three years, which in fact it has been from that June position, that very strategy has also led to many of my biggest winners. I haven't even talked about Shopify, which I'll mention a little bit later this podcast, but those are just four companies from Stock Advisor alone. So, Lesson number three, ironic in the face of a dog stock pick, which is what IGE was now in retrospect in June of last year. Ironically, the lesson here is adding to winners works more often than you think. And I don't think we should be dissuaded by a result like this to think we shouldn't do that. I'm going to keep doing it even when it sometimes hurts. All right, it's halftime. So, Making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success in the new year. But where do you find that person? Well, that's why when it comes to posting your job, go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. And that would be LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but nine out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like the one you might want to be listing. So, with most of the U.S. workforce today on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. And one other side note, this is a Motley Fool plug, and this is for the gamers out there. And I know there are many among you listening to me right now, my fellow Fool gamers. We cover a lot of ground on the Rule Breakers podcast, but there's one subject we probably haven't talked about enough. That's fireballs. That's right, fireballs. Fireballs are just one of the spells that you can use to inflict damage on your foes in the strategic board game app that my team and I are developing. It's called Stockstar, and it's based on investing. So, this is a mobile game app that we have in beta right now. If your stocks perform well in real life, you earn gems that help you dominate our game. And I'd love your help to test it before launch. So, if you're interested in joining our small band of beta testers, just shoot an email to game at fool.com. That's just game at fool.com, and we'll add you to our playtest list. And we'll probably be issuing invites within the next few weeks. So, game at fool.com to beta test Stockstar with us. I'll see you there. All right, my biggest loser, number four. The company name is Impinge, I-M-P-I-N-J, Impinge. The ticker symbol is P-I. I first picked Impinge for Motley Fool Rule Breakers on December 21st of 2016, a few days before Christmas. Not a very good stock to put under the tree that particular year, because at the time it was at $38.33, and today it's down at $16 a share. It's down 58%. So, what is a reflection that I have about Impinge? Well, this is a company that has developed a platform for RFID technology. Those RFID chips that you put, you see those tags put on, well, everything from packages to devices to keep track, inventory management, tracking where things are going, or maybe at your corporation, you have little 
these little tags placed on, I don't know, underneath the chairs so we can figure out where all the chairs are in the conference rooms. There are multitudinous ways of using this technology, and this company has built out a platform to help you as an IT manager kind of manage all of your assets. But this company, now having lost 58% of its value in the last two plus years, is down to just a market cap of only about $340 million. So, lesson number four is when you have a company get crushed down to be that small, I would typically suggest that you refuse to add to those positions. Ignore crushed microcaps. Not only is this a stock pick of mine in Motley Fool Rule Breakers, but I also personally bought it for one of my children's accounts. And so I've taken this on the chin just as much as anybody else. And I'm not looking to add to that position. Now, the reason I'm saying that and highlighting this is because a lot of people, when they see a stock go from 38 down to 16, they start thinking, well, I liked it at 38. And, you know, 16, heck, if it just doubles back to 32, it'd still blow my cost, but it would be a double from here. And so sometimes people get excited when companies lose this much value and they start thinking, this isn't a penny stock, but this is really prevalent in penny stock thinking. They start thinking, yeah, it wouldn't take a lot to double from here. Maybe I should buy some more. And while that can be true, and we have had some all-star performers bounce back, in fact, two years ago when I did David's Biggest Losers Volume 2, I highlighted RH, also known as Restoration Hardware. The stock had dropped from 93 down to 30, which was a huge loser two years ago. Within the following year, it bounced back from 30 to 95. Today, I'm happy to say it's at 127 and a half, up four times from when I did David's Biggest Losers Volume 2 two years ago this month. So it is possible uh, that some of these companies, especially ones that are more substantial companies with, with maybe a brand that people recognize, they probably have a better bounce back opportunities than some of the others. I'll give another quick example. A year ago, on this podcast, David's Biggest Losers Volume 3, Under Armour was on the list. Under Armour had dropped from 39 down to 14. Well, over the last year, it's up 29% from where it was a year ago. So, some of these bounce back. In my experience, it's probably the bigger, more branded companies that do that, not the impinges of the world. Now, I still hold my impinge shares. It's still a part of our active rule breaker service. I sure hope it comes back. But I would typically, lesson number four, ignore these crushed companies that get down to micro capville. Now, I do want to point out one other quick thing about impinge before we go to number five. And that is that this company has had decelerating sales growth. So, when we first picked it back in middle of 2016, sales were growing about 50% year over year. Like from the previous year's quarter to that quarter, it was up 50%. Then the following quarter, sort of the end of 2016, that dropped to 49% year over year. Then the following quarter throughout 2017, it went 47%. Then the next one was 31% growth. Then the next one was 5% growth. And then six quarters or so after I'd first recommended it, sales actually decelerated to the negative, down 20% from that quarter a year ago. So, especially when you see sales growth decelerating and going negative for smaller cap companies, that is a really bad sign. Of course, not something I was expecting at all. Very disappointing. Makes me wonder about the RFID technology period, and we probably need to reassess this. But anyway, that's where Impinge is, my fourth biggest loser, with a couple of thoughts you can take away about Impinge. To, to summarize again, ignore these crushed companies once they get to be so small, and two, 
plummeting sales a especially bad sign, an especially bad sign for small companies. All right, before our final two, how about another inspirational football coach quote? Yep, I feel it coming on. Tony Dungy, the very talented NFL coach, who these days, football fans will know, is an analyst on television analyzing the game. But Tony Dungy once said, quote, I just think winners win. And guys who won all the way through high school and college, the best player at every level, they have a way of making things happen and winning games, period, end quote. Now, one of my secondary themes for this podcast throughout 2018 was somewhat tongue-in-cheek at times, the phrase, winners win. And now I realize I first brought this quote out to you a year ago in this podcast, and I think that influenced me. I'm now looking backwards and realizing it was Tony Dungy who got me on the whole winners win track. So so thank you, Tony. And I agree with you. And that's that's why it's a good reminder after we talk about a company like Impinge, which frankly, has been losing. Uh, so often, the momentum of winning and losing continues longer than most people think. Often, things win for good reasons, underlying reasons that continue to happen. For example, if somebody's just a great athlete, and that person has a great experience and keeps winning, uh, they feel inspired by their fans to keep working hard. Uh, they know how to win because they've won before, so that helps them win more in future. Factors start to show up to propel winners into more and more winning positions. Similarly, for these losers that we're talking about in this podcast, there may well be factors in play that cause things to make it harder for them to turn that losing around and to win. So, just a thought. Thank you, Tony Dungy. Okay. Biggest loser number five, and of all the companies on this list, I think this is probably the best known. The company's market cap today is about a billion dollars and a half. I first picked it on May 25th of 2016 at $14.06. The stock is down to six today from 14 to six. The company is Fitbit. The ticker symbol is FIT. And yep, this stock did appear on my last year's list. Again, I keep these lists for the preceding three years. So if a company has a really bad first year, it'll come back for a couple of years on this annual losers podcast that I do. But a fourth year, it won't show up. It'll drop off the list because I'm only looking backwards three years. So I will point out when I presented Fitbit a year ago, it was down to $5.67. So it's actually up to six now. It's up a little bit after a down year for the stock market. Uh, what's a good lesson about Fitbit? Well, I know a lot of people wear a Fitbit. They appreciate how it helps them track their steps, in some cases, perhaps their sleep, other aspects of their health. Being more attendant to health data is definitely one of the micro trends worth paying attention to. And when I had Mark Penn on this podcast doing micro trends in my Authors in August series last August, we talked in part about self data lovers, a micro trend, you and me keeping track of our steps and a lot of other things through our iPhone. Uh, these days, so it, Fitbit very much fits within that micro trend. But I think I think the lesson here uh, is that hardware is hard, especially when you're competing with Apple. But so much of the world is moving toward becoming software, and a lot of the devices that we used to carry around, for example, like a watch or a GPS, or how about a camera? That's a much better example. And my talented producer Rick Engdahl, who's a wonderful photographer. Um, quickly furnished me that that idea, but there are a lot of other examples of hardware that a, an iPhone these days has replaced. And frankly, Fitbit could be added to that list. 
Fitbit's not the only company operating in this space. It just happens to have been the leader before Apple, with its Apple Watch, showed up. So, hardware can be a hard business. I've always appreciated that Fitbit has a lot of data, and I've always hoped that that would be a good reason to own the stock. Because if you've used a Fitbit, then there's a lot of data that Fitbit has, and it can it can get you data insights about your own data. It can also aggregate populations of data and create lots of value, I had hoped. Um, turns out, I wasn't very right, at least so far, about Fitbit. But competing against Apple is a big reason, I think, that Fitbit has been such an underperformer. I also want to point out two other quick points about this stock itself. The first is that this stock went down fast and hard. And that can happen, especially with small cap companies. So, in October of 2016, Fitbit was at $16 a share. It looked like it had been a good stock pick. Again, we picked it in May. It had gone from 14 up to 16 just half a year later. And then from October 2016, four months later to January of 2017, it went from 16 to 6. Ouch. It lost more than half its value in just four months. That's micro lesson number one just about the stock. These small caps can go down hard and fast. Lesson number two. Sometimes it takes them a long time to come back. So now, two years later, I just mentioned that was January of 2017. It was at six. Guess where it is here in January of 2019? That's right. I already said it. It's at six. For two years now, in a very tight band, Fitbit has just kind of bounced around five, six, five, six, five, six, five, six. It's been kind of dead money in a very good two years for the stock market, albeit a very poor fourth quarter of 2018 and kind of a ho hum year overall. 2018, but Fitbit just kind of has sat there and done very little. So, that excitement that you might have as a well known company like Fitbit has a stock drop into the single digits, um, it hasn't been rewarded. That excitement has only consistently been disappointed by a company that's kind of having a hard time pulling itself up out of the morass of underperformance. So, again, I, I hope for good things for Fitbit. Maybe it'll be one of those bounce back companies we talk about a year or two from now. But that's not usually where I put my new money. I don't like to throw, as the old saw goes, good money after bad. So there's a thought, a few thoughts from Fitbit. And finally, stock number six, my sixth biggest loser of the last three years. And yep, we've actually already talked about this one because this is one of those that I recommended and re recommended. And it is Camping World Holdings. The sixth worst performance comes from my pick on December 21st, 2016. Discerning listeners will note that two of the six worst picks I've made in the last three years were from the same issue of Motley Fool Rule Breakers, December 21st, 2016, Impinge, and this selection of Camping World Holdings. Now, I already covered Camping World earlier, and this is another case where I picked it in December of 2016. It went up some. I initially picked it at 30. It went up. I then added some a year later at 41 in November of 2017. But since the stock has since come down from 41 down to 13, both positions, the one initiated at 30 and the one initiated higher at 41, are badly in the red. And this one is down 55%, my sixth worst loser. Well, we've already talked about Camping World Holdings, but in a maybe kind of a lovely and sadly ironic way, Drawing a lesson from this last one actually brings together almost all the other lessons I've shared with you this week. Yep, beware CEOs who are TV show stars. That's true of this sixth position as well. Marcus Lemonis talked about that earlier. Uh, companies with accounting problems. Yep, that's also been true of 
That was true of Impinge. It had some problems. I mentioned Camping World had some accounting problems in the last year as well. Um, Adding to winners works a lot. Here I added to a winner. It's done horribly. But I mentioned earlier all of the wonderful winners we have added to that have far outperformed this. And I should mention right now Shopify. Shopify is my number one winner that I've added to in the last three years. The winner that I added to is up 469% on its own Shopify within the last three years. Yep, it went from a lower position to a higher one. Then I re-recommended there, and that is up 469%. So, adding to winners works more often than you think. And finally, yep, Camping World is kind of a hardware company. Hardware is hard. RVs, big, heavy vehicles to build, uh, to sell, and to maintain. So, maybe even in sort of an elegant way, this final pick brings together many of the things we've talked about this week on David's Biggest Losers, Volume 4. All right, well, there you have it. Thank you for slogging through the utter mediocrity and disappointment with me over the time that we've had together this week. I never really enjoy doing this, but I still try to make the best of it. And I'm going to add in one more inspirational quote from a football coach as well to close before I talk about what we're going to do next week. And this quote comes from the former Washington Redskins great head coach, Joe Gibbs, who won at least one Super Bowl. I think it was a couple of Super Bowls for the Washington Redskins back in the day. But here's what Joe Gibbs, the Redskins coach of yore, said. He said, quote, failures are expected by losers ignored by winners, end quote. And while in some ways that contradicts what I said earlier, because I've said you should expect failures. That's part of investing. Losing is part of investing, but the really key part is what he said secondarily in that quote. Failures are expected by losers, ignored by winners. And I've tried to emphasize that a few times this podcast, and indeed other podcasts in the past, I try to learn as many lessons as I can, not from my losers, but from my winners. So I've had occasion to mention Shopify and a few others earlier this podcast, and of course, many other podcasts in 2018. We talked about what works. And I think it's by observing the things that work in life, not just in investing, but in life, that we truly can learn our greatest lessons. So it might sound irresponsible to simply ignore failure, to look past it. But once you understand the math, of investing, and that winning, a good winner can wipe out all of your losers. Forget about that three times the joy of gain-pain quotient. Nope. Failures are expected by losers, Joe Gibbs said, ignored by winners. So, food for thought. All right. Speaking of picking stocks, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Because every 10 weeks on the show, it's our five-stock sampler. I pick five stocks from our services, put them right out there in front of you, and say, I think they're going to beat the market going forward. So, I'm going to introduce my first five-stock sampler for you, my noble Rule Breaker Investing listeners, next week. In the meantime, one final quote. This one's from Vince Lombardi. Food for thought for you in the week ahead. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.